Uganda by way of Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome, Miss Olive. And you are. Thank you. Let's pray. Luba Ward, Luba Wand, Luba Chung, Malay, Luba Matira Tira, Wapoi Pijama Duchimiti Mikoa, Wapoi Pichoi Wako Dekoni, Wapoi Pimi Wajama Chamatin, Walegini Bini Itelwa, Walegini Bini Yadonoa, Hilwakwa, Akwangini in Kenny, in Yelubama, Walegaman Pibepa, Wadi Yesu, Christo Rotwa. Amen. You can have a seat. I joined the Compassion Program when I was seven years old. But there's so much that happened before I joined the Compassion Program. I was seven, never worn shoes before, never been to school, didn't know how to love because I didn't know what love was. I was traumatized recovering from sexually being molested at the age of six. So what you saw on me was not really me because I didn't want anyone to look at me and judge me. And so I always smiled to deflect the attention from me. I was going through a very traumatic moment because as I'm going to share with you what my childhood looked like, I was born to a Muslim father and a Christian mother. My mother had moved to a small town called Apache to go to nursing school. And while she was there in nursing school, she met my father. And they had two children. Juliet was three years old. And then me. I was one month old. My grandparents had no idea that my mom had children because my mother knew very well that it was not right for her to have children with a Muslim man. And so my grandparents had no knowledge of our existence. But word reached them, and they got to find out that they had granddaughters. They left Kitgum, which is also in the northern part of Uganda, on their bicycles, my grandfather riding his bicycle, and my grandmother was, being, was sitting behind a bicycle being ridden by another male. They rode for three hours, and they got to a patch. Juliet, they got her. She was sitting behind my grandfather's bicycle, and then I was being carried on my grandmother's back. They rode back to Kitgum for three hours. We lived in a small village called Muchwini. In my homestead, there were five huts. And right at the entrance of the hut was the kitchen. Next to the kitchen was my grandmother's hut, then my grandfather's hut, then the male and the female guest hut. And right in the middle of the homestead, because the huts were shaped in form of an ark, and right in the middle was the fireplace. The fireplace was very instrumental because that is a place my grandfather sat teaching out of the Bible. I remember several children from the community would come and sit just listening to my grandfather teach. When I was about three and a half, 
and I would observe the other children, remember their mommy reverses from the nights before, and they would get treats from my grandfather. Of course, I would terrorize them to give me their treats because I was too young to remember the verses. When I turned about four and a half, I was able to memorize the verses, not because I understood what they meant, but because I wanted to get more treats. And that went on until I was about five years old. When I was five, I knew several memory verses. I had also learned my first chapter in the Bible, which was Psalms 23. And so I asked my grandfather at the fireplace with my friends, and I asked him to pray for me so I can accept Christ in my life. I accepted Jesus in my life, and it was also a very instrumental age. At five years old, in this country, you are excited because your child is about to start kindergarten. And I was equally excited as well because I was excited about going to school. I didn't know English. I'd never been to school. I didn't know what school looked like. The only form of school that I got was the teachings that my grandfather was passing on to me and reading the, memory, reading the Bible verses, teaching me the stories of the Bible. And so there was a test that my grandfather used to. He had to pass the test to be ready for school. And so... All the other kids would line up, and as he got to the front, he was sitting on his rocking chair. He would say, okay, it's your turn. Touch your opposite ear. Just touch your opposite ear. And if you touched your opposite ear, it meant that your brain had grown, and you were ready for school. <laughs> and so I was in the back of the line, and of course I knew that I was going to do it, piece of cake, because I was one of the tallest five-year-olds. And so as I got to the front of the line, he was like, yep, it's your turn. Go on, go on. I tried to touch my ear, but I couldn't. I was very devastated because I knew that I wasn't going to go to school on Monday. This was a Friday. But I was also consoled knowing that I had to work on it on Saturday and Sunday. And maybe during that time, I would touch my ear and get to go to school on Monday. And so Saturday reached, tried the whole day, praying for a miracle. I didn't touch my ear. Sunday, of course Sunday, I knew something was going to happen. It's Sunday, right? Tried and tried and tried, nothing happened. We went to church, all my friends laying hands on me and praying for me. I was not really focused on what was being taught at church that day. All I wanted to do was touch my ear so that I could get to school on Monday. Our church was very, very lively. When we got to church, there was praise and worship. And then there were also moments where several of the, village, the villagers, they would bring their crops for that month and they would share it with the other people that did not have. So much was going on around me, but the only thing that was echoing in my ear. Please, Lord, let me touch my ear by the end of today. Well, after service, tried again and again and again and again. Nothing happened. Begged my grandfather to let me go to school. He said, no, you can't. You have to touch your ear. You're not old enough. And so we reached home in the evening. 
And my, grandfather, my grandmother gave instructions and she said, you are going to the garden with me tomorrow. You have to go work with me in the fields. All my friends were going to school that Monday. So Monday morning they all went and I went to work in the fields. By about 3.30, I was very excited to get back home because I knew that my friends were going to get back and tell me all the stories and the experiences they had at school. 4.30, no sign of my friends. 5.30, no sign. 6.30, no sign of my friends. And then word reached us that that Monday was the first day the Lord's Resistance Army abducted children to train them to become child soldiers. And so for me at that age, just realizing the fact that I was old enough, I was one of the tallest, I wasn't able to touch my ear. It was God's protection that was upon me. I wasn't able to go to school that day, and I wasn't one of those children that got abducted. Now a lot of things began changing within the community whereby the rebels realized that people were not sending their children to school. And what they did now, they came to the homes. The rebels traveled in a group of 10 or 15. And so if you were small, smaller families, it's easy for them to kill the parents and take the children. But if you're in a large group, it's a little bit harder for them. All the village residents would come to my homestead to seek refuge. In my grandmother's hut were women and their children. My grandfather's hut, there were men that sought refuge. And my grandfather would sit in the middle of the homestead by the fireplace with his Bible next to him and just praying over and over, over and over. And I remember this one specific evening, there were about 70 children and women in my grandmother's hut. My grandmother was sitting by the door and the door was just a little bit open. And if you were a hundred feet away, you would, you would visibly see her. And I was sitting by her feet. Then we heard noises in the nearby homes and wailing and screams. We knew something was bad was coming. And so we stayed silent. Of course, there were children uncomfortable in that hut. They were crying, coughing because of the ventilation not being good. And we could hear noises. The rebels approached our homestead. And when they approached our homestead, they met my grandfather at the fireplace. And they asked him, where is everyone? And he said, I don't know. Two of the rebels, they walked and they came to the hut where we were hiding. We could see them coming and all that you're thinking about, please, Lord, don't let them open this door or don't let them come in because then everyone would have been gone. But when the two rebels came and started looking inside, they looked and went back and told my grandfather, yes, you are telling the truth. There is no one in the hut. At five years old, I experienced what it meant 
to be covered by the blood of Jesus. I learned that the stories that my grandfather was telling me about the Israelites being protected during the Passover, it was happening right before my eyes. And you know, if you have children and you're teaching them about the word, they will take it all in. They will believe everything you tell them. And that was me. Now a lot of things began changing within that area because now, because no one was sending their children to school and the rebels now began coming in the homes. The rebels realized that they needed to step it up. So what they would do when they came to a home, they would lock all the doors and set the home on fire. And you were, if you were inside, you died in the fire. And so my grandmother would line up blankets in one corner and she would give instructions. When it clocks 5.30, I would like for you to pick up your blanket and go hide in the forest. No, Grandma, I can't go. I'm only five and a half. But our instructions were very clear. You went by yourself. You don't go with Grandma, Mom, or Dad. You go by yourself because in the event that you're hiding in the forest, and the rebels find you there, at least it's just one person that is gone. If you hide together, they'll find everyone. So we hid together for almost six months. We hid apart for almost six months. Whereby you would leave in the evening, go hide, come back in the morning. Sometimes if someone didn't come back in the morning, you knew that they had been taken. It was also very heartbreaking because we observed some of the children that we played with within the community kill their parents without any mercy because they had been brainwashed so much to the point whereby they cannot remember their own parents. And I remember this specific evening where my grandmother instructed us to go hide in the forest. I picked up my blanket, the only thing I had were two, my blanket and the dress that I had on, one dress. I went to a nearby forest, it was a small, there was a small bush, lots of grass. It was very dark. If you put your hand in front of you, you can barely see it. I covered my head. It was a little bit wet because it was drizzling. And I was dozing off. But then I had something behind me. I had no idea of what it was. As I looked back, I didn't know, I couldn't see it first. I thought maybe it's a wild animal that is passing by. But the noise kept on intensifying. And as the noise intensified, I turned back. It was a big python snake just coming towards me. I remembered so many things, but the most important thing that I remembered at that time was the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And again, I wanted God to save me, because if God was able to save Daniel in the lion's den, surely a python snake was way smaller. Now the snake kept on coming. It approached me and coiled itself around me twice. And I knew that I was going to die. And I wanted to be sure where I was going. 
And then I remembered the first chapter, Psalms 23, that I had learned as a child. And I started saying it out loud. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul and guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you, Lord, are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. The creator of everything that is around us. Listen to me. The snake uncoiled itself and left. It was at that moment that I knew that the Bible was truth. And everything that my grandfather was teaching me was truth. A lot of things started changing as well because now the rebels realized people were hiding in the forest. And so they would burn everything, every vegetation. And so we had to keep on moving from town to town to town. And I remember, we reached a small town called La Rakarara. We had stayed there for about three days. And then my grandmother gave my cousin, Sunday, instructions to climb up the tree and look and see if there's anybody approaching us. So he climbed up the tree and he screamed so loud that we knew it was danger. Before he got down, the government soldiers were on one side and the rebels were on one side, just shooting. And we were stuck in the middle of a gunfire. Mothers would drop their children in one area and just run off. I observed my grandmother. The things that she did enlightened me on what I wanted to become when I grew up. She got the children and got them in one place and she wouldn't leave them. Let's go, Grandma. She said, no, I have to stay here with these children. The rebels approached us and they surrounded us. At that point, we knew it was over. Then they asked my grandmother who she was. And she said, I'm the wife of Yokonani Nyeko. And the gentleman told, him, told her, oh, we know who he is. Don't touch her. That to me was Jesus. When you have Jesus, even someone that doesn't believe in him is able to see Jesus in you. The rebels left us. And then we had to start walking again. By that time, the three days that we stayed in La Rakaraha, I had drunk dirty water and contracted genie worms. My feet, both feet had gin worms in it, very swollen. I could barely walk, but I had to keep on walking. I remember that day we walked for a long distance. 
with no water to drink and no food to eat. We reached Kitgum Town. When we reached Kitgum Town, there was a hospital, St. Joseph's Hospital. In the evening, all the other children would come to the hospital to sleep and then leave the next day. Because a lot of children had lost their parents in a way that you, the parents would leave to go work in the garden and they're killed from there. So the kids have no idea what happened to the parents. But the oldest ones had to take care of the younger ones. And so at the hospital we would see a six-year-old taking care of a four-year-old and a two-year-old. It was also during that time that the three gentlemen from San Diego enlightened the world on the plight of those children. And they began the advocacy group, The Invisible Children. Because they were invisible. They didn't have any hope. They were not loved. They had never been to school. A lot of them didn't know what God's love was. My grandfather sat me down and he said, you cannot keep on living like this. You have to leave this place. I'm going to put you on a bus. So he put me on a bus. From Kitkum to Kampala, it was about eight hours. We rode on the bus and got to Kampala. I was going to see my mother. It was a little bit weird for me because at that age, I knew grandma and grandpa was mom and dad. And now here I was, meeting Dorothy Lois Nyeko, who was my mother. I had a lot of questions for my mother. But because of cultural values, a child did not ask some specific questions to the adults, especially if it's your mother. I could observe my mother and see that she was struggling with uh, some other concerns, some other issues. She had a lot of struggle. And later on, I learned that she had HIV AIDS. You know, at that time, being seven years old, not knowing what the future looked like, my feet looked like this because I had never worn shoes. I didn't speak English. I realized that everyone around me was looking at me and judging me. And so what I did, I would smile. And so when I smiled, they would smile back. And they would go on their way. That worked for a little bit. But I had a lot of internal conflicts, internal trauma that I struggled with on a daily basis. And I remember my mother saying, I'm taking you to church. I'm taking you to church, Kampala Baptist Church. It was a Saturday morning. And we walked for 12 hours, for 12 miles. After getting to the church, my mother said, line up behind the other kids. I'm going to a different room to fill out paperwork. I had no idea what was going on, so I lined up. But because everything was within the church, I knew something good was going to come out of it. 
And so as I was at the back of the line and I picked, picked to look and see what was going on at the front, there, were this, there was this, this uh, wooden board that the children were holding in their hands and they had numbers and letters on it. And they would take a picture of them. So when it was my turn, I stood there, they gave me a board to hold with my number on it. And the number was UG127-0188. They took a picture of me and I had no idea that they were making a child packet, just like this one. I had lost hope. I didn't know I was ever going to go to school. By that time, I was about to turn eight. And my child packet ended up at Hillsong Church in Sydney, Australia. It was at a compassion table, just like the one out there. And someone that was sitting and listening to someone sharing compassion, they walked up to that compassion table and they picked up my packet. And right before I turned eight, a family, Maria and Hanshru, they picked up my packet and wrote me my first letter. And the first sentence in that letter transformed my whole being, restored a different kind of joy within me, and has since been very instrumental in what I do now. And the sentence read, we love you, we hope you're doing well, and we will do everything in our power to release you from poverty in Jesus' name. My sponsors wrote to me monthly. My sponsor mom was very prayerful. She wrote prayers, prayer after prayer after prayer. And sometimes it was just a sentence, a verse. And I needed that so much. Because I was going through a lot, and there was just no one I could open to. But through my sponsors, God was able to guide them in giving me what I needed. My sponsor dad wrote daddy letters. And you know, a lot of us, daddy letters, if they write you a letter, you know it's important. <laughs> and so my dad would write a letter like, I hope you're doing well in school. And I hope that you spent the money we sent you well. I needed both sides from both my mom and my dad because of what I was going through at that time. And I remember, after being in the compassion program for three years, I was 11 years old, I remember my mom getting really sick. And I also remember that my mom would take all of us to this place. It's called Tasso. And all the people that worked within Tasso were members of the church. So in my mind, I was like, wow, okay, this is a church ministry and we are a church. But it was in a totally different location. 
And my mom would go inside and talk to someone and would, would be in the waiting area playing with some other kids. And sometimes they would call us in to talk to us. They were preparing us for what would happen. I remember my mother calling me and my young sister, Charity, later in the afternoon, about 2 o'clock. And she said, I need some vegetables and fruits. In my mind, I was like, vegetable and fruits in the afternoon? You normally get those in the morning because that's when you get the fresh ones. But because mom said she needed some vegetables and fruits, we had to go to the market. So we walked to the market. And on our way back, my older sister ran towards us. And she was like, she's gone. She's gone. It was very hard because someone who I just talked to so I had to leave and go into her room and check to make sure that what my sister Juliet was telling me was the truth. She looked like she was sleeping. I tried to wake her up. She couldn't wake up. It dawned on me that I had to grow up. I wasn't 11 years old anymore. I had to grow up. And my fear at that time was going back to Kitkum and starting to live that life of wandering and running every day. But because I was in the compassion program, they were able to move us from where we were. And we moved in with our cousins. Our cousin's mother actually died in the hospital while she was taking care of my mother. And so there were five children. The oldest was 16. And then the three of us, that made eight. We slept on the floor. It was uncomfortable. But we were happy that we were together. If anyone was sick among the eight of us, compassion was there to take care of them. We got a blanket. We got beds. We got clothes, we got food every week. Although it was just me in the program, everything that affected me was important in my development. And compassion through the church was able to address that. I began to get a lot of the counseling that I needed to enjoy salvation. And I remember being so angry at God. I was so angry. I asked God so many questions. What did I do to deserve this? How could you let an 11-year-old go through all this torture? But God responded to me through my compassion sponsors, assuring me that he alone is God. And if I trusted him, he would change every circumstance that I was in. And I began to learn to trust God and enjoy salvation again, although it was hard. I remember when I turned 12, 
I wrote to my sponsors and I told them I wanted to go to a boarding school. Because in Uganda, if you have your child in a boarding school, they don't have to get up in the morning and go work in the farm and then get to school. All they have on their mind is school. And so I went to a boarding school. It was the one of the best in the country, and they also played volleyball. I did very well, one of the best students. When I got to my junior year, I started feeling a little bit different. Because during the day, I'm totally fine. Then about 4.35, my temperature would shoot above 106. And so I knew every day about 3.30, I would start walking to the infirmary so the nurse could help me keep my temperature down. That went on for about four or five months. And then the compassion staff came to see me at school. And he said, we have to take you to get tested. They took me and I got tested, and they found out I had tuberculosis. In Uganda, if you have tuberculosis, 95% of people die because they have no money to get the medication. And even if they got the medication, with that type of medication, you still need very, very good balanced diet for the medication to work. And so I had to be admitted into the hospital. In the hospital where, hospital room where I stayed, it was as big as this sanctuary. And there were about 50 other children suffering from tuberculosis, and there were some that had HIV AIDS. It was very heartbreaking the one year that I was there, because so many children died, because their parents can't afford the medication. And there I was. I was a compassion child. My sponsors were not going to let me die of something that can be treated. I took one shot every day and ate tablets every day. And after the one year, I was completely healed from tuberculosis. But my heart was broken for all the children that died in the one year that I was there. After that, I went back to school and I started playing volleyball again. And the gym where we practiced was right next to a guest house that houses international recruiters. And they would come in the gym and just sit in the bleachers and watch us practice. And one time, one of them approached my coach and told him, you know, some of your girls can play volleyball in the US. And so my coach asked several of us. And after about six months, I got a scholarship to play volleyball at South Carolina State. And my major was social work. I was at South Carolina State for three years and I graduated. But then God was able to open other doors I got another scholarship to do my master's at the University of Georgia. I wasn't a child pocket anymore. I was somebody. And I practice social work right now in the state of Georgia. My life started as a child pocket.
my mom, Maria, and dad, Hans. I have known them for 25 years. I have never met them. But through Christ, they were able to parent me even if they were not there physically. They were able to write letters monthly. I know there are some of you here that sponsor. We sponsored children don't think of the $38 a month. We value those letters. We yearn for them because there's so much happening around us. And the only constant thing that we look forward to is the letters from you. If you're not writing, please write. You have to write. My sponsors extended grace to me. And there was no way that I was going to keep that grace to myself. I sponsored two children. One of them is from the Dominican Republic and one of them from Uganda. And my sponsored child from Uganda writes and also wants to sponsor when they grow up. Christ extended grace to us. Why then should we keep it to ourselves? And do what with it? And lock it up in a jar? What will happen to it? Christ gives us grace so we can extend grace to someone else. We have to create time for someone else. How many hours, how many minutes, how many seconds a day do you create time for someone else? It's not about guilt. It's about grace. Because 25 years ago, when my compassion sponsors went to a compassion table and they picked up my packet, they were not just picking a packet. They were picking me. And I remember thinking, what if they didn't pick me? What if I wasn't there on that table? What life would I be living? But I'm very thankful for the grace that Christ showed my sponsors and the grace that they extended to me. And I learned to love and to extend grace to someone else. And today it's your turn. Receive that grace and extend it on to someone else. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Wow. Oof. You know, um, I've never been to Uganda, and I've never been to the Philippines, and, and all of our children from Compassion are in the Philippines because Pastor Carl really wants to make that world there 
He wants Hope Chapel Conway Bay to really make a major league difference for generations and generations and generations to come because of this church and that community. I've been to the Dominican Republic, though, because one of our members here many years ago became a doctor, and him and his wife moved to Dominican, and I've been there many times on mission teams with him, and I, I'm, I'm staggered by the poverty there. And I'm sure it's just like Uganda and the Philippines, where every day a child wakes up and he has one thing in mind, and that's to get food. That's to get food. So I want you to know that, by the way, this is, by the way, no guilt, no manipulation. You and God have to do this. This is, this is that simple. If God's touching your heart to do it, great. If not, no problem. Last year, we, um, last couple of years, could you bring those packets forward too? We want to pray for these kids because we have, we, we, we ask compassion for 300 kids. So what the best, the least we can do is pray for these guys that are representing these. So they're going to pass it out. So, you know, we've, my wife and I have uh, sponsored four children. And yesterday morning, she brought them and put them on the dining room table. And she goes, Rob, I want you to meet your children. And I can honestly say, I can honestly say I never thought of it that way. We went to dinner with Olive on Friday night, and I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm, I got the wrong mindset here. Because like many of you, many of you sponsor kids in this room. Many of you do already, and we, we're honored to do that. But we get the money taken out of our account automatically, so it's, it's seamless, but it's invisible to me. And I realized after talking to Olive how important those letters are, and I need to write letters. And I know when Olive was speaking, and if you're a compassion person, and you're not writing letters, your heart is broke right then. I get that. But I want you to know that what we want to do at Hope Chapel Conway Bay is, if, however you keep your calendar, and if you're sponsoring a child, I'd love you to come back in this room on June 12th, and we're all going to write letters together, and we're going to do it regularly together. We in Hawaii are so busy trying to make ends meet, trying to get our kids to wherever they got to go, trying to get through the day, and sometimes that slips by us. So we as a pastoral team want to help you to do that. That's June 12th. Secondly, I want you to know that on that board, our compassion wall in the back might be your child that you sponsor. And we'd love you to go back and try to recognize your child and put their name on the, with the pin that we provided and your initial. And lastly, if you ever have a desire to go and actually meet your child, to go to the Philippines, every year we go, and this year we're going November 3rd through the 13th. And if you'd like to go to Bacalat with us, all you need to do is go to the compassion table after the service and tell them, you know what, I'm interested in no more information so I can go meet, be that person's mom and dad that can meet me. So if that's something that you want to do, we'd love you to do that. Everybody's got a packet in their hand. Let's pray for these children. It says this in Matthew, the 19th chapter, it says this. One day, some of the parents brought their children to Jesus so that he could lay hands on them and pray. But the disciples scolded the parents, don't bother him. But Jesus said, let those children come to me and don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. So I want to do that right now. If you have a packet in your hand, it represents a child. It represents someone who is stuck in poverty. We want to pray that they would be released from that poverty. Pray with me now. Lord, in our hands represents a life. A life created by you to be all that you created him to be, Lord. And if poverty is holding him back, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, you would release the child that we have in our hand from the spirit of poverty, Lord. I pray that you would allow that children to grow up and to be all that you created him to be, Lord, to serve you mightily like all of, to change the world, Lord, to go from hopelessness to hope, Lord. I pray that that child right in our hands 
would come to know you in Jesus' name. Amen. Very simple. It's $38 a month. If you decide that you want to do that this morning, you just take the packet that you have in your hand and you take it to the compassion table. Maybe you have a boy and you'd love to get a girl. No problem. If you, this is not something you want to do this morning, no problem at all. What we ask you to do is just leave the packet on your seat so the ushers can pick it up and we can do this because every, don't leave the campus with a child in your hand without having talked to us because this represents a child who'd love to be sponsored. You good about that? You know, you come to church this morning and church is about knowing Jesus. And if you've walked into this room this morning and you don't know Jesus, for sure, we'd be remiss without giving an opportunity to do that. And I want to pray for you right now that if you have walking in this room, the Jesus that all have just described to you is real and available to you today. It's very simple. The word says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that, you, that if you believe in him, that you will never perish and have eternal life. And that eternal life is with Jesus. And I want to pray for you this morning. But I also want to know who we're praying with. So in a minute, when we pray, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with. So pray with me right now. Lord, in Jesus' name and by the power of your Holy Spirit in us, Lord, I pray that you would come into our hearts, Lord. For those who don't know you, that they would experience you like never before right now. That your Holy Spirit would enter their heart, Lord. We ask you to forgive us our sins, Lord. Forgive our sins, Lord. Touch us deeply, Lord. Move in our hearts, Lord, like never before, Lord. Change our perspectives, Lord. Lord, I pray that we'd be transformed by your love. Everybody's eyes are closed, heads are bowed right now, Lord. But I want to know who's praying with me and who prayed with me. So on the count of three congregation, if you prayed with me this morning, you asked Jesus in your heart, you want to have a relationship with him, a close one. You want to be guided and protected by him. I would love you to raise your hand. So I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, just raise your hand so I know who is praying with me this morning. One, two, three. Raise your hand if that's you. I see you. Yes. Yes, I do. I see you. Yes. Thank you so much. Lord, bless this congregation today. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would work mightily in our lives, Lord, that the world that we live in, the world that we interact with, Lord, would be changed because of your grace and mercy in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand up and let's worship.